Uh, we're going to continue uh, the study that Tony's been doing about, uh, he hasn't actually been talking about the book of Revelation much, he's been uh, spending some time in Thessalonians uh, and some other books talking about uh, end times prophecy. Uh, and this is a, a subject that um, I, I have to confess, I, I, uh, a lot of people are very passionate about it and have a lot of interest in it. And that's just never been uh, something that I'm super interested in for reasons that I'll get into in a moment. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit tonight about the book of Revelation. We're not going to do, obviously, a whole study of all 22 chapters in a single night because uh, you would drag me out of here and beat me up. Um, We just don't have time. Uh, But I I want to make a couple of points about the way that this book is usually taught uh, and then talk to you a little bit, draw, just draw out a couple of themes from it, and we're going to talk about those. Um, because I, I think that the way that we teach this book often scares people. Um, it often makes people afraid of their Bible, and I think that's a shame. Uh, made me afraid of my Bible for a long, long time, right? You read it, and you, uh, I'll talk about this in a moment, but our, our desire often is to uh, I, I think I called this Put Down Your Newspaper. Richard made me come up with a title. I realized after I told him that that was the title I wanted that most some people in here probably have never read a newspaper, right? Like you get your news on the internet or wherever. Um, but our desire oftentimes is to read this book with revelation in one hand and our newspaper in the other, right? And to try to match them up and figure it out Figure out, uh, we, we often consider that the language that's in this book to be a code. And we try to match up that code with what's happening in our world and say, is the Lord coming back like tomorrow? Is he returning? Right, that's our, that's our propensity. That's what we want to do oftentimes with this book. And there, there's a deep vein of, that's called, that approach is called futurism. Uh, it's the idea that the events in the book of Revelation have, have not yet happened, right? And so... Uh, that's the approach that we often take in American evangelical and fundamental churches and have for a long, long time. That's the way we teach it. Well, I'm going to make a wild proposal tonight and say to you something that I said to somebody when we were talking about COVID-19. I was having breakfast with a friend last week and uh, we were talking about kind of the the different viewpoints uh, on this pandemic that we're all kind of living through right now and the crazy times we're having. And, uh, you know, he said, well, do you, do you, like, you know, there are all kinds of rumors swirling around, like, oh, it's a government conspiracy, or, you know, it, it, we're way overreacting, and it's, it's for an election year, or, what, you know, whatever. Um, and I told him, uh, as I think I've told some of you uh, who've asked me the same question, that three things can be true at once, right? That's, that's a hard thing for the modern mind to grasp, but it's absolutely true. Three things can be true at once. One... This can be a serious problem, right? A real disease that has real impacts on real people in the world. Two, uh, our reaction as a society can be an overreaction. That's okay. That's a, that, that can be a true thing at the same time. And third, it can be a problem to give the government this much power. All three of those things can be absolutely true at once. But if you get online, which you shouldn't, uh, or you talk to people, which you, you probably have to, uh, you'll hear that, 
there are like three camps, right? And nobody's admitting that all three of those things can be true at once. By the same token, uh, I would propose to you tonight that with respect to just about any biblical prophecy, including the book of Revelation specifically, three things can be true at once. One is we have to think about what did this mean in its context? What did this mean at the time it was written to the people that it was written to? When we turn to the book of of Revelation, as we will in a moment, we read the introductory lines, what you'll see is that this is a real letter that was written by a real person, John the Revelator, who was a prisoner at Patmos uh, because he testified to the name of God uh, and the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was in prison and he wrote this letter to seven churches in Asia Minor who, who were filled with real people who really received the letter and read it out loud in an assembly like this one. That happened. Uh, and the message was to them and it meant something to them in their context. It, it didn't seem like the ravings of a crazy person or they would have just gotten rid of it, right? Um, so it, it was a real letter at a real time in a real place written to real people about real things that were happening to them. Second, right, the second thing we have to ask with respect to any biblical prophecy is uh, what does it mean to us? Is there something in it that is about our future or the world we live in today? There may or may not be, uh, right? The prophet often has an immediate thing in view and then something beyond it, right? Uh, If if you look at the prophecies of Isaiah, for instance, uh, he prophesies uh, several times in ways that are about his immediate problem, the immediate problem of the nation of Israel, but beyond it, right, is, but beyond it is the Messiah, right? Beyond it, he's predicting something out in the future. It's more than he knows. There's a fuller sense to his prophecy. Uh, and then third, what's eternal about it? What, what's the principle that every believer, thank you, what, what does it mean eternally? What's the principle in every age that we can grasp? What does it mean at all times? So, Richard, can you go to the next slide? So, I think this is how we should teach proper uh, prophecy. This is how to properly do it, right? Well, first you have to figure out what it meant to them. Because it can never mean the opposite of what it meant to them, to us, right? That's called hermeneutics. Or, I'm sorry, that's called exegesis. There's a scholarly word for it. On the other end is, what's it mean to us? That's application, right? And in the middle where they overlap is what are the eternal principles that we can draw from this? What, what can believers draw from this in every age, at every time, in every circumstance? Next one. Thanks, Richard. So this is how we usually teach prophecy, right? We're really, really interested in what applies to us, right? We really, really want to know uh, whether COVID-19 is in the Bible, uh, or whether uh, war with China is in our future, and therefore is it in Revelation, which we consider history written in advance. Is that what it is? Right, that's, that's our desire. That's how it, that's how it gets taught. Uh, and we don't, we don't worry so much about them. Uh, and then the eternal gets, it gets shoved into that little sliver of space where the two overlap. And that's problematic. It's problematic for a few different reasons. Um, Richard left again. No, Richard's up there. He's hiding now. 
this is probably how John thought we'd read Revelation. Right? When he wrote it, he probably thought, I'm talking about big eternal themes. I'm, I'm revealing something about the nature of God. That's what revelation, right? A revelation is a, it's when information from outside changes the way you look at everything, right? It, it's almost like a trick, like, like your eyes are uncovered. The, the word that revelation uh, uh, translates in Greek, in Greek, it's apocalypsos. That means to uncover, to reveal, to revelate, right? It's, it's literally what you would say if you had something on your face and you took it off. You uncovered yourself. Um, I, I think sometimes of, I'm sure people have seen the movie The Sixth Sense. Uh, there, there was a director, M. Night Shyamalan, who, who had a, a series of movies that kind of had a twist ending, right? And The Sixth Sense was the first one of those. Uh, and you, you watch the whole movie and it's a ghost story, uh, so this, this movie, The Sixth Sense, which most of you have probably seen, is a ghost story. Um, and at the end of it, you're given new information about everything that you've seen. And one of the characters is a ghost, and you didn't know it. Um, by the same token, right, uh, uh, this revelation from Jesus Christ that John is given, it changes his perspective on history. It changes his perspective on the course of human events, and it changes his perspective on his own faith. And it's supposed to change the perspective of the, the people who are receiving it and our perspective. So uh, wh- why do I think that it is... Uh, well, let me look at my notes. Hang on. Okay. Um, so the, the problem is that uh, oftentimes when we teach the way that we do, uh, we, we end up making predictions right? We end up being very specific about what's going to happen. Uh, I, uh, so I've sat through probably thousands of sermons uh, in this building and in other places. Uh, And I I remember a lot of, I remember a lot, well, I remember a lot of the, the, a lot of them, right? The the, the gist of them. Uh, But there are only a few moments I remember with absolute perfect clarity and two of them are related to the book of Revelation, and both were pretty upsetting to me. In one, a, uh, a guest speaker, uh, speaking from, from this stage, said, uh, I think, that Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist. Team, was, was Mikhail Gorbachev the Antichrist? He was not. How do I know? Well, he's been dead for like 30 years, right? He better get moving uh, if he's the Antichrist. The other uh, was in another, another place, uh, and somebody speaking on Revelation said, there are people in this audience, there were maybe 15 people in the audience, who, who will live to see the Lord's return, as described in the book of Revelation. And, uh, you know, I was you know, 25-year-old, uh, 25-year-old young Christian, and I said, you can't know that. You cannot know that. Um, Richard, can you go to my first picture? Oh, so this handsome fella is William Miller. Um, and, and so the, the desire to name a date is ancient. Uh, it is uh, constant throughout the last 2,000 years. 
It just has happened over and over and over again. The, William Miller uh, is, uh, was a Baptist minister uh, out of, I believe, New York uh, in the 1800s. Uh, and he um, predicted, he, he read the signs, he said, and he went backwards using the 70 weeks of Daniel and the book of Revelation, and he, he said that the Lord would return on October 12th, 1843. Very specific, right? At nine o'clock, I think. I think he even named the time. Uh, spoiler, the Lord did not return uh, at that time. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Uh, so this is a political cartoon from, from the area. Um, people bought ascension robes uh, for the event and they went up on their rooftops and they waited. Um, there aren't a lot of extant pictures of those, but people, people were ready, right? They sold their possessions. Uh, the, there was just this, this uh, wave ran through New England of people uh, getting excited about the Lord's imminent return. Uh, and they... they you know, on, on October 12th, they climbed up on their roofs and they waited expectantly. Lord, take me home. Next slide. That's, that, that's a, a newspaper rendition of, of the event uh, or of the hoped for event. Next slide. Uh, and this was a, I don't know exactly what this was, whether it was a safe you climbed in to get ready or what, <laughs> what it was, but it was so bizarre. Like it, he looks like he's stocked up with stuff. He's got crackers and all kinds of things. Anyway, you, you get the point. Uh, this led to what was called the great disappointment, right? And, and you know, Miller, who I believe was probably sincere in terms of wanting to, to predict the time and date and, you know, think logically about it, uh, or, you know, he, he read the scriptures and was trying to do, you know, as he was moved to do, um, he made the mistake of saying, well, I didn't mean October 12th, I meant February 24th of next year. Did the Lord come then? He did not. Uh, and then there was a third try, and that didn't work out either. Um, and so you can imagine the immense disappointment of people uh, when this happened, right? It's the, the desire to name a date is... It, it has gripped people from the beginning of Christianity. Actually, you can go to the next slide, Richard, if you're up there. This is Richard the Lionhearted, who you've probably heard of, a crusader king from England. Uh, he met with a monk, Joachim of Fiori. Next slide. Picture of Joachim is less, less good, less noble than the one of uh, Richard the Lionhearted. But uh, this monk told him that he would uh, travel to the Holy Land and fight the Antichrist. Right, so, so the desire to name a date has not been new, right? It's, it's been forever. Uh, it's gone on since the beginning of Christianity. Dan Carlin, who does a podcast called Hardcore History, which is very good. Uh, if you uh, enjoy history, you should probably try it out. He wrote a book called uh, The End is Always Near, uh, where he talks about these apocalyptic sort of movements that happen time and time and time again. And if if you've been around the church for a long time, you understand that these things come in waves, right? Around Y2K, we had this, this sort of talk. Um, Richard lived at about, not Richard Hartman, who's up running the sound booth, but Richard the Lionhearted li lived at around 1,000, uh, or I'm sorry, no, 1,500. Uh, 
but the, the thought was during these apocalyptic moments is the Lord's going to return soon. How do we fit, how do I pick up the newspaper and fit the newspaper into Revelation? Um, let me say something that may strike you as controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. If somebody says something very specific to you uh, and very definite, like Mikhail Gorbachev is the Antichrist, uh, I don't care what they say if it's that specific. You, you may safely disregard everything that they have to say about anything. I, I can't count the number of people um, that I have known uh, who were uh, faithful Christians who've suffered a great disappointment of their own as the result of, of this kind of talk. So let's focus on what's eternal for just a moment. Um, and, and I'm not intending to, to criticize. Uh, there are future elements of Revelation. Let me be very clear. Not everything in Revelation has happened. So it's okay to think about how future events might play out. But I bet if you can predict them, they won't happen that way. Right? No man knows the day or the hour. So let's focus on what's eternal. I want to draw out just a couple of threads here. Uh, so let's turn to Revelation uh, 1. Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. Start right at the beginning. <clears throat> the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, uh, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Remember that. And every eye shall see him and they also uh, which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. And then... Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, remember that, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. 
Now, uh, it has been said, uh, this is a quote from Bill Creasy, who's a, a professor of literature at UCLA and for many, many years uh, taught a course, uh, like a two-year course on the Bible as literature. Uh, he says that Revelation is the easiest book in all the, all the Bible to understand. If only you've read and understood completely the previous 65, uh, which is kind of a tall order. Um, but I'm making a point here. Let's turn really quickly to Daniel chapter 7, uh, which is probably the most important chapter uh, in all the Old Testament. Uh, it, it is the centerpiece of Christ's claim to divinity. So uh, it says, and we're going to read the whole chapter. I, I apologize for those of you who have not heard me teach before. Uh, I like to read a lot of verses. We get through a lot of material when I teach because I, I, I like to show how it hangs together. So uh, chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, uh, which was 556 B.C., Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. And this I beheld, and to another, uh, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth, it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Freaky, right? Um, verse 9. So this is the important part, or this is the, the part I, I was drawing your attention to. I beheld till the thrones were cast down. Right, so understand, the, these four beasts, the angel's going to tell Daniel this in a moment, but I'm giving you a preview. These four beasts, they represent the kingdoms of the earth, right, they, uh, up to that time. They represent Babylon, the Persian Empire, Greece, and Rome, right? So he's making a, a, an identification of the past and a prediction of the future in the form of the Roman Empire, right? And, and these four beasts, they arise from the sea, which in, in Jewish thought, the sea is chaos. The sea is the nations that are out there that aren't Israel. Right? So out of that sea arise these, these four animals, these super beasts, right? And they are, they're evil. They devour flesh and conquer people. And they, they rule the earth. But in verse 9, in Daniel's sight, the thrones were cast down. And what happens? And the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. 
His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. So he's in a chariot throne. But who's that sound like? Well, it sounds like, like the guy that, that John just turned around and saw, right? But we're told that that's Jesus. So he sees Jesus and Jesus is in the form of the ancient of days. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man. So that, that phrase, the Son of Man, means a human one. That's like literally what it says. Came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So, he comes with the, cloud, the clouds of heaven, right? Remember in John, or in Revelation, when John says that the person he's speaking to comes in the clouds? Jesus is both the ancient of days and the cloud rider. Right? He's the son of, and what was Jesus' favorite name for himself? The son of man. Jesus thought it was cool to be a, a human. Right? He said, that's how he identified himself constantly. So the, the person, the person that, that um, John is seeing is both this ancient of days, this, this father figure, and Jesus Christ, to whom is given dominion and glory and power over the nations of the earth. Let's turn back to Revelation. Uh, actually, Richard, I'm not going to go through the rest of Daniel, so I, I apologize. The, you can certainly go back to it. Uh, Daniel goes to the angel uh, who's kind of shepherding him along and says, what was that all about? And the angel tells him explicitly, as I just told you, uh, what it's about. So, um, so remember that beast, or the, the super beasts who are around there. Um, let's turn to... Revelation 5. This will be familiar to most of you. Uh, and John's there, right? And they, they bring out the books. And it says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, which are different beasts than the ones we just talked about. Um, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. Uh, and then he opens it. Uh, in verse 9, uh, sorry. 
And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. So who's the lamb? It's Jesus, right? It's symbolically Jesus. He's presented as this lamb. Uh, let's go to chapter 12. Sorry, Rich, I told Richard I go to certain verses and now I, and then I lied to him. So that's how I do it. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pained to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven, head, seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And I won't go on. Uh, or I will, actually. I'll go down to verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought uh, and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Uh, and I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. So John's writing to, in a very specific context to people who are being martyred. Tony's talked a little bit about the church in, in uh, Thessalonica, uh, which basically suffered martyrdom like 48 hours after Paul got there. Like a bunch of people converted and then the authorities came and got them and killed a bunch of them, which you would think would diminish church attendance, but did not. Uh, that they were on fire for the Lord, um, like they believed. Um, and so, right, Paul, uh, John is writing to people who are, are, they're being sought out by the government to be killed, right? There, there are numerous references in this book to the blood of the saints. Um, so he's writing to them, and what he's saying is, let me tell you about uh, this vision that I had. And what I saw was this woman clothed, with, uh, you know, clothed in light with 12 stars on her head, that's Israel, right? He's, he's retelling the story of Israel uh, at, in this figurative sense. And the, the devil, that old serpent, Satan, tries to stop uh, the, the deliverance of mankind through this woman, through, through, Israel, through this figurative Israel. I want you to notice, though, that this dragon figure, right? It's, it's and this, this is what I meant earlier when I said three things can be true at once. More than one thing can be true, Right? This is often taken as a depiction of some primordial, some primordial event, right? Like Satan rebelled in heaven and took a third of the angels with him. Uh, that event is not described anywhere else. So that, 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 that can be true. This can also be a figurative depiction of Israel, right? And the strife and war and uh, 
danger that it represents for, fu- for the future church can also be true. All these things can overlap with one another. Uh, it, it's much more complicated than reading it and saying, well, I'm going to pick up my newspaper. I'm going to figure out how it fits in. Let's turn, and uh, the other thing, so this is a political book, right? It's about, um, it's about the end of time, but it's also about how, how these martyrs are interacting with their government, right? They're, they're being killed by it. And what Paul, or what John is saying here, uh, as we're going to see in a moment, is behind every act of human evil, especially every act of evil human empire, there is a spiritual war that is raging. There, there is a, he's saying, there is an entity, there is a thing, there is a person that is, that is driving with satanic energy the evil of human empire. Let's turn really quickly, uh, and I, do you, you guys mind if I go like five minutes longer than I was gonna? Okay, I'll just stand, you, you can all leave, right? The people on Facebook will continue, but uh, let's turn to chapter 17 of Revelation. We're gonna be in Revelation the whole time, Dom. Am I right about that? Just a moment. Oh, actually, let's, uh, let's turn to chapter 13. I apologize, and I don't think, Richard, that I told you this one. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. Remember the sea in Daniel? What's the sea represent? Represents the, the, the people out there, the people out there who, who don't know about God. And saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven horn, t- heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Oh, I did tell you. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. One of the beasts in Daniel was like a leopard, right? The feet of a bear. Remember that guy? He was there too. And his mouth is the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So this guy, this monster, this beast, is like a combination of all the other ones that Daniel saw. What, what's John doing? John is saturated in the Old Testament. He know, these guys knew it. They, you, didn't have to ask, you didn't have to ask them for verse and chapter. They could quote you the whole thing, right? They, they knew. So being saturated in the Old Testament, he says, I'm going to make a point about the evil that human empire does and how it's driven. And he says... There's this super beast, and it's like all the beasts that Daniel saw. It's combined, and it rises out of the sea as a human government. And it's given its power by the dragon, right? by the, this spiritual evil that fought and tried to, pre- and tried to prevent the coming of Christ. That, that's who it's driven by. Um, so let's turn to 17. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked, where am I at? Okay, we're going to skip down to verse seven. No, we're not. I'm so so sorry, folks. Okay, and there came, we're at verse one. Uh, Richard, I'm sorry. Uh, And there came one of the seven angels, which uh, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, 
I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her head, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, which hath the seven heads and ten horns. Um, so I won't go on from there. But um, the, the point, right, that this beast emerges, it's like a super beast, right? It's like all of the, all the things that Daniel saw. It represents in itself the kingdoms of the earth. And this woman's writing on the back of it. The woman is a representation of Rome. Uh, the, the Romans had, uh, they had a cult of Roma. Uh, Roma was the female divinity who represented Rome. She's the goddess of Rome. Uh, and if you talk to a preterist, a preterist is somebody who believes, uh, it's not anything bad, it's somebody, <laughs> somebody who believes that all the events of Revelation have already taken place, right? It's kind of the opposite of the teaching that I was talking about before that's all future-oriented. It's somebody who says, this is all a code, but it's code for stuff that already happened, right? They would tell you uh, that the beast is Caesar Nero, right? It says the na- the, the, his name, the number of his name is 666 or 666. If you render Caesar Nero into uh, Roman or into Hebrew letters, uh, and then do, do the kind of math that they do. It's called gematria. You get 666. So they would say, all of this has already happened. The beast is Caesar and the, the, the woman is Rome. But there's a reason John wrote it in code. He wrote it in code so that it would apply in every age. And you could think about who Babylon, the mystery, the mother of harlots is in your own age. right? And how how, who, whatever that is, whether it's an economic system or uh, a, a system of oppression, how it is overcome. The wickedness of human empires is overcome by the blood of the Lamb in every age. So let's, let's turn really quickly, uh, and I know I keep saying that, but to Revelations 22.1. And this is the end, right? This is the end of the Bible. Uh, And he showed me uh, a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of the, uh, the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God 
of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Uh, and then we're going to go back. So, spoiler alert, the, the end of the book is that the lamb prevails over the beast. Right? The Lord Jesus prevails over the kingdoms of the earth. I want to, I'll leave you with a couple thoughts, but I also want to read chapter 21, uh, verse 5. I actually, I'm going to read the whole thing. Sorry, Richard. Um, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there, were, there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write this down, it's good. No, he said, Write for, uh, write, for these words are true and faithful. A couple thoughts on this. Uh, and this is really my point, right? You have this, this heavy symbology, right? And some of these things refer to future events, for sure. Some of them refer to past events, for sure. But all of them, right, provide a message. And that message is the Lamb will prevail in every age, at every time. Not in the past, on the cross. Not in the future, at some final event where everything gets made right. Today, right now, he makes all things new, right? He, he didn't say, I'm fixing to make all things new. I, I'm, I'm totally going to do it one day. He didn't say, I made all things new on the cross. He said, I am remaking the world right now, right at this moment. Go read the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's in Matthew. And you will see how heaven comes to earth, right? It's in our actions. It's in what we do. I, I often, um, I wonder, right, people are, uh, in the kind of teaching that I talked about earlier, people are trying to, to figure out when the Lord is coming. Uh, is he coming now? And, and I often wonder why. Uh, why are you doing that? Like what, I, I understand the attraction, I, I get it. Um, and I understand why it's taught like that, right? It, in part, it's to engender fear, right? Um, you want people to understand the seriousness of uh, entering into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, right? So that's why you, that's why you teach that way. But um, I, how would you live if you knew the Lord was coming tomorrow? What would you do? That's the question I want to ask people. I know what I would do. Um, I would love people recklessly, right? I'd forget about everything else. And I'd love people um, in as wild and passionate and uh, Christ-centered a way as I possibly could. I'd tell everybody I knew about Jesus. What, what should you do? How should you live in the earnest expectation that the Lord could come at any moment? So sometimes I feel like we want to know so we can live how we want, <laughs> right? Like, oh, I don't have to, there's plenty of time maybe. No, he could come at any time. 
Live recklessly now with love for people. Live like the Sermon on the Mount is true every day, every moment of your life. Tell people about Jesus at every moment in the way you live, in the way you speak, in what you say. He's not, he's making all things new. Help him, (laughs) right? Live like he's coming at any moment. So I think that's the end of my lesson. Um, Thank you all for giving me an opportunity to speak. I hope uh, hope this was a little challenging and uh, was helpful to you. Um, I I spent many years scared of this book, uh, not wanting to read it, not wanting to be taught from it. Um, But it is in some ways the most hopeful book in all the Bible. It tells you that in every age, no matter what's happening, no matter if there's COVID-19 and riots and murder hornets and, you you know, I saw a video of a little kid getting snatched by a monkey in Thailand. Uh, on the monkey was riding a moped. Even if there are toddler snatching monkey bikers, it doesn't matter, right? Christ prevails in every age. Amen. Every age. He is making all things new.